Welcome to Fifth Draw Wild, everybody. I'm your host, Matt, and if this is your first time with us, this is a show where I interview people about the slices of pop culture that they're most passionate about. We're jumping right into our episode today. I hope you enjoy it. And our guest today, returning guest to the show, is uh, Sky. Sky, welcome back. Thank you very much. This will be my third time, which I think earns me the rank of friend of the show. It certainly does. You have uh, you stepped up there with uh, Alan and Shannon on that on that pedestal. Yep, coming after Jake. Lots of people taking taking aims at the belt right now. Forgot about that belt. I'm going to get that belt. <laughs> so, Sky, what are we talking about today? Today we are talking about one of the best things ever produced by mankind. Uh, we're talking about the Avatar series. No, not James Cameron. Because that, that's incredibly boring, and, and I know you, you have fond memories, everybody, but it's had no cultural impact. Uh, no, we are talking about uh, the cartoon Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. Yeah, I'm real excited, and I'm now that you mentioned it, I'm even more excited that we're not talking about CGI Fern Gully. So, uh, good <laughs> It was also Space Pocahontas, if you, if it you was. think about it. it. We're talking about the good Avatar, and... Uh, Man, I am ready to chew in on this. So, what are we going to talk about first, Guy? Well, first of all, I thought we could go through the the characters. Uh, not all of them, obviously, because we do have a time limit. <laughs> yeah, we're going to try to keep this away from the surprise two-parters, but we'll yeah. see. I mean, I make no promises because this is a thing that I love deeply. Like, I was on for Ninja Turtles, and I love Ninja Turtles intensely. But I will go on record as saying Avatar is the best animated series ever made. I mean... Maybe even better than Batman the Animated Series. Dang. That, that's uh, a... I know that's, that's a bold, bold claim. Words, guy. It's bold, but I stand by it because I I have an entire podcast to prove my point to you, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So let's dig into these characters. Who are we going to talk about first? I think we should start the same way that the series does, and let's talk about Katara. Katara is the only waterbender remaining in the Southern Water Tribe. Or should we establish the, the, the rules of the universe first? Yeah, just, just real fast. We'll, That's we'll probably a good that. idea. Uh, All right, so the universe of Avatar is set in uh, a sort of anachronistic Asian setting. They're the classic elements of fire, water, earth, and air are uh, bent by specific people um, and by bent, they can manipulate through uh, a martial art. They can manipulate the element of their uh, their nation. So waterbenders can control water, which means they can um, make it levitate. They can make it into ice. They can turn it into water vapor. They're very versatile people. Uh, there's the earthbenders who can manipulate stone and earth in general, and sometimes sand if you're be- good at it, and metal if you're extremely good at it. Uh, there's the firebenders who can produce fire, and then there's the airbenders who can... Uh, you know, manipulate air uh, somewhat sound, and then they can use the air to make themselves run. Oh, and the secondary thing with fire is they can do um, lightning, which is pretty rad, and uh, sometimes a little bit of energy manipulation. Um, so ultimately, uh, the, the world is separated into those four peoples. Uh, they're in different parts of the world, and uh, they have to find a balance, which is the Avatar. The Avatar is the one person per generation who's able to bend each of the four elements. Was that clear enough? That was. That was uh, pretty succinct. Yeah, it was good. I was trying not to drag that out, but there's so much information to download onto you guys, or upload onto you guys. Anyway, uh, so Katara is uh, a waterbender from the Southern Water Tribe. The The poles are usually populated by the waterbenders, so we have people at the north and people on the south. The Fire Nation has uh, overreached its bounds and has uh, made attempts to take over the world in what's known as the Hundred Years' War. So they have uh, taken all of the waterbenders, except for Katara, from the Southern Water Tribe. Uh, so she... And her brother Sokka are basically the oldest kids in the group. Everybody else is either out at war or elderly. And uh, I don't want to say unable to take care of themselves, but they definitely are relying upon the younger people to provide food and, you know, resources and so forth. So Katara has basically taken up role as, like, teen mom. She is... She's the maternal uh, person for her family especially, but she's a strong character in that uh, she is always willing to help somebody uh over the course of the series like everything she knows about water bending she's taught herself up to the point where she meets ang and they head up north and she finds a water bending scroll and a master but uh you know she taught herself how to manipulate water which is pretty rad and uh within the first five minutes she accuses her brother of being sexist which is awesome not just you're a jerk it's you are being a jerk because you assume i can't do a thing because i'm a woman and that's rad in a kid's cartoon 
I mean, it happens in five minutes. And then when she makes it to the Northern Water Temple or the Northern Water Tribe, uh, the, the waterbending master, Paku, doesn't want to train her in uh, like combat waterbending because she's a woman. And she doesn't understand that on a fundamental level, which is perfect for her character because like she was raised in a in a little tribe where you know there weren't that many people so of course everybody has to do everything so she doesn't even comprehend that they don't believe she could do a thing because she's a girl and that's awesome all right and uh what's who's our next character there it's gonna be Sokka right of course Sokka uh I'm gonna say this a lot as we go through the characters but Sokka might be my favorite he is a non-bender uh he's the oldest boy of the southern water tribe on occasion he feels a little bit left out because he can't bend, but ultimately he makes up for it with his ingenuity and his humor and his strategy. He becomes, I don't want to say the leader of Team Avatar, but he definitely becomes like the driving force behind them. Like he's kind of like their Billy. He's their Donatello, only he's, I wouldn't say as nerdy as either of those characters, but like he has the plan. He knows what they need to do to get the job done. And he tells people how to do it. All through the series, he is, I would argue, the bravest of them because he's running up against people who can shoot fire at him. Basically, he's outclassed in every way, but he runs at them with just a boomerang and a machete, and he is ready to go down. He's the comic relief of the show, which kind of means that the show dumps on him a lot, but eh, he plays it off. It's not as bad as it sounds. It's actually pretty funny. Yeah, he bounces back from it. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> there's, the, there's an episode where he accidentally falls in a hole and is stuck in that hole for the entirety of the episode while a little baby moose lion cub uh, screws with him. And it's uh, it's so great. It's where we find out he's the meat and sarcasm guy. <laughs> <'Cause>... <laughs> uh, by the end of the show, he becomes a master swordsman and he like made it out of a meteorite, so it's unbreakable. He's so good. He's so good, guys. Like One of my favorite episodes is Sokka's master where he uh, becomes the, the Master Swordsman, and he has a Jane sword. Yeah, it's it's real great. Like, Sokka's awesome, and we'll dig into him more as kind of we move down through the through our schedule here. So who do we meet next? Uh, the next character I'd like to bring up, of course, is Egg. He's voiced by Zach Tyler. The other two characters, uh, Mae Whitman, uh, maybe from Arrested Development, and uh, April O'Neil uh, from the current Turtles is uh, Katara. Jack Decina is Sokka. He is... Uh, Jack Decine is a comedian who actually elevated the, the script for Sokka because originally Sokka was going to be a very serious character. But because <laughs> because uh, the guy voicing him is a comedian, he became a lot funnier and like became a lot more laid back. And I think the show really is elevated because of the that as a whole. Aang is uh, a goofy 12-year-old who is ultimately a god among men. <laughs> he disappeared for 100 years. But they found him and he can bend all of the elements. And he's terrifyingly powerful, but chooses to be a goofy 12-year-old. He's he's He was raised by monks, so he values all life and he's a vegetarian. And nature loves him and he has a sky bison, which is... But that's another thing I love about this series is like... All of the animals in the world are two separate animals put together. Uh, it's so clever, like turtle ducks and platypus bears. and Sky bison, apparently, I heard alleged that it was a bison and a manatee, which doesn't make sense to me, but sure, whatever. It makes as much sense as anything else. But, uh, but Aang is our main character, ultimately, and uh, the show follows his journey from a kid who ran away from his responsibilities to a fully realized avatar, who is the, the link between the spirit world and the, the real world and is in charge of keeping balance among the nations. Even though he struggles, he still uh, learns what he needs to do in order to keep the world safe. And it's uh, it's so good. It really is. And we're going to dig way into Aang as we uh, go on. So oh, There's so much there. Yeah. He, he is the title character, so he's a little <laughs> bit important. Um, yeah. So who's next? Next, I would like to uh, bring up Toph. Yes. Now, I uh, I love Toph. Toph might be my favorite. <laughs> uh, Toph is a little girl. She is about Aang's age. Even well, Aang's biological age. Age Aang is twelve. When they find him, he's one hundred and twelve. Whatever. Not not important. Toph is a little girl from who comes from a privileged family, uh, a very overprotective privileged family, and she is a, a an earthbender. Now, because she's blind. Her parents uh, don't think that she's able to do the things that she's able to do, and they're very overprotective of her, which is, I understand from a certain point, but ultimately you gotta let your kid be your kid. There was one day where, when she was much younger, where she ran away, and she found a hole in, like, in a cave or something, and she 
learned earthbending from badger moles, who are said to be the original bender or earthbenders in this world. So she learned directly from the source. So she is she is the strongest earthbender in the world. And earthbending comes from a real-life martial arts called Hungar, which is derived from very strong stances and powerful movements. Toph learns a slightly different version of this. It's um, praying mantis style. So her motions are different from everybody else. But she uh, sneaks away from home, and she find, or she partakes in what is ultimately an analog for, <laughs> for uh, professional wrestling, where she takes on other earthbenders in uh, competitions, and she owns every one of these burly giant men. And it's awesome to see a little girl take them all out. It's so good. It really is. Toph is one of my favorite characters. I think once she joins the party, she has some of the best lines in the whole oh, show. God, she's so sassy. Like, she doesn't take no guff from anybody, which is great. She hides under a, a lot of, you know, aggressive posturing and so forth. But inside, she's, you know, she's still a person. She uh, she cares about her team, but she's also <laughs> very aloof and indifferent uh, on the outside. And it's great. She ends up teaching Aang how to earthbend. And uh, I mentioned she's blind, but she can actually see, in quotation marks, through earthbending. Like, she can sense the vibrations and she can tell when somebody's lying because of little vibrational changes in their bodies against the earth. It's awesome how well she knows how to earthbend. Like, she invents metal bending, a thing that was previously completely impossible to do for anybody. And she invents it because she's so good at earthbending. It's awesome. And who's going to be our next character? The next character I want to talk about is Prince Zuko. Oh, yeah. Uh, he is so perfect in this like he's voiced by dante bosco in case you don't know he played rufio in hook he is the most dynamic character in this series when we first meet him he is very much coded as the bad guy and he is he's the bad guy he is trying to track down the avatar and as the series goes we find out why zuko has a very conspicuous scar over his left eye and we find out that the his father put that there like a year or so prior to him discovering the avatar was back Zuko spoke out of turn during uh, a war meeting at the Fire Nation and disrespected his father. The Fire Nation, ultimately, uh, I believe, is due to its uh, the visuals. Um, it looks to me like it is based pretty much on Japanese culture and Jeff like it. So they all have like that civic pride and honor and so forth. So in speaking out of turn, he dishonored his father and he was challenged to an Agni Kai, which uh, is a firebender's duel. He thought he was going to be fighting the general who he spoke out against, but instead it was his father. He couldn't fight his dad, so he submitted in the duel, and the Fire Lord burned his son's face and banished him from his land, uh, which is uh, heartbreaking. So Zuko has this desire to find the Avatar to redeem himself in his father's eyes. And there's so much going on. Like, we'll get into it later. But he's such a good character, and he grows so, so much as the series progresses. He really does. He, he probably has one of the strongest arcs out of everybody. Oh, like, God. Like I said, we'll get into it. Yeah, um, the episode Zuko Alone is, oh, it's like a masterclass in storytelling. It's so good. Anyone else in the original series, or are we jumping over to characters in oh, Legend of Korra? One more. I would like to talk about, well, actually two more. Uh, I want to talk about Azula a little bit. Uh, Azula is uh, Zuko's sister. She is terrifying on every level to me. She's voiced by Grey Delisle, who is amazing. She's ruthless, calculating, and a firebending prodigy, and she shoots blue fire. Uh, she can lightning bend, and uh, she's just a monster on the inside, and watching her slowly slip into insanity is terrifying. Oh, and I wanted to bring up Ozai a little bit also. Uh, Ozai is the Fire Lord. He is voiced by Mark Hamill. He's also ruthless. He murdered his father to become the Fire Lord. He has no moral compunctions to speak of, and he has no problem with just burning down the rest of the world. And he's horrifying. Also, I would like to point out that uh, Mark Hamill is voicing a character who plays an emperor who shoots lightning at a young rebel. I just want to point that out. That's pretty rad. And the last character I want to mention from the original series is Uncle Iroh, voiced by the incomparable Mako. Now, Iroh is my favorite character from this show. Uncle Iroh, he's uh, a heavyset older man. Uh, he's got a nice beard. He's he's very jolly. He He's decided to go with his nephew on his travels to restore his honor. And he loves his, his nephew unconditionally. Iroh lost his son 
in uh, a siege on Basing Se, which is a, a kingdom in the Earth Empire or Earth Nation, and he sees uh, Zuko as his son, and he just wants him to do what's right. He wants him to find his own path, and he's one of the only characters uh, that can make me cry every time I see a thing that he does. Uh, in Tales from Basing Se, there's a, a scene that just brings me to tears every single time. Iroh understands the necessity of having the different nations and having different peoples and learning from other different peoples. Like he develops a technique of redirecting lightning by watching the waterbenders and how they do what they do. He's perfect. He's, uh, he's my uncle. Like Master Splinter's my dad, but Uncle Iroh's my uncle. <laughs> so let's jump over and uh, real quick here, get some touch on some uh, Korra characters. Yeah. Uh, first and foremost is Cora, obviously. We get introduced to her in the first episode. She's a little girl, I don't know, like five or six. And the first line she has is, I'm the Avatar and you have to deal with it. And it's, it's perfect on every level for her character. Most Avatars, as far as I know, don't develop the other bending skills until they're in their teens. But she starts, like the first thing she's doing is she's like kicking down walls because they're made of earth and she's bending water and shooting fire and she's undeniably the Avatar. Uh, so she never loses that level of, well, she does eventually, but she has that level of confidence all the way through her Avatar training until she has to start learning uh, airbending. She goes through so much as an Avatar. Like Aang, we only see him dealing, you know, with the Fire Lord stuff, but oh boy, Korra goes through some stuff, man. And she has a polar bear dog, which is rad. Yeah, she's pretty great. And we're going to get into her some more later. So uh, who's next in the Korra department? Tenzin. Tenzin is voiced by J.K. Simmons, who I think is one of the most underrated actors of our time. He did. He played J. Jonah Jameson. And you'll hear him once you know his voice. You'll hear him. He's like, uh, what is it? Allstate? Allstate guy? Oh, no, no. Not Allstate. Farmer's Insurance. Yeah, yeah. He's that one. He's also a voice actor on Gravity Falls. T uh, something that I realized as I was doing a little research for this. Uh, Tenzin, uh, derived, his name is derived from the current real-life Dalai Lama. Uh, the real-life Dalai Lama's name is Tenzin Gyatso. So Aang had a teacher named Gyatso, and then they put in Tenzin in this to link it together. And that's great! I love that so much! Tenzin is the son of Aang and Katara. He's one of the three children they had. He's the only airbender of them. Um, and he takes the responsibility of being the head of the air, you know, the only airbender and, like, he has some children who are all airbenders, so they're spreading. But ultimately, it's up to him to keep the, up with the traditions, and he takes that super seriously. And he becomes Korra's uh, airbending teacher, which is so interesting to me because Korra is his father, and he is teaching his father all the stuff he learned from his father. And that's so that's so weird and great. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on the avatars and just how weird they are later on, because <laughs> they get bonkers. Oh, man. So who's next? Next is Bolin. Uh, Bolin is an earthbender. He's a professional earthbender. Uh, in this, uh, this uh, Korra is set like 70 years after the events of uh, The Last Airbender. So unfortunately... Aang is dead. That's why we have Korra, though. So, like, in the world, the world has changed dramatically from the first time we saw it. Like, there are automobiles and flying machines and electricity and, like... So now there's organized professional bending. It's ultimately, like, dodgeball, but also, like, capture the flag dodgeball? So there's zones and you have to bend the elements and there's certain rules and stuff, and it's pretty rad. Uh, but Bolin is the comic relief of the new Team Avatar. He's great. Like, I love Bolin. He... <laughs> He's so goofy and lovable, and uh, he becomes a mover star. Like, they <laughs> they meet a guy who develops motion pictures, and they call him movers, which I love. Like, he and his brother grew up on the street, and he becomes a mover star, and that's great! So, speaking of his brother... His brother, Mako, named after the voice actor for Uncle Iroh because Mako passed away uh, towards the end of season three, so he didn't get to finish it out, but they renamed a character after him who's a firebender, and I just, ah, uh, guys, like, huh, I love that so much, um, and he's voice, uh, Mako's voiced by, uh, David Festino, yeah, the guy from Married with Children, and Mako is a hashtag big brother, and it, <laughs> he, he, is abrasive and he does whatever it takes to take care of his little brother and himself. His little brother comes first. Sometimes that means they fall in with an unfavorable crowd, but they never do anything totally illegal. And uh, like he's also um, on the fire ferrets with Bolin as uh, their firebender, so he's a professional bender as well. Mako is a weird character. I like him a lot, but there's some stuff that I don't like about him. 
which we'll 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 touch on them as when we get down to the to the we'll show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so who else? There is Asami Sato, who is my favorite character from Legend of Korra. She's a, the non-bender of the team. She's voiced by Seishel Gabrielle, who is the person who played Yue in the live-action movie that doesn't exist. Uh, she <laughs> uh, we'll she get is, to that. Yeah, we will. She's the son of Hiroshi Sato, who invented the Sato-mobile, and she is amazing. She is a perfect character. She she's uh very capable like she's an inventor she's brilliant she is uh wealthy i i don't want to call her a mary sue but if you need her to do a thing chances are she knows how to do that thing and then she'll get it done for you and the great you know just because she's awesome i love her so much also uh you know what we'll get there i'll bring it up later all right so who else we have in cora I just wanted to go over the the, the villains real quick because unlike the first series where there's ultimately the one villain uh, this one is a completely different style of storytelling so we have four different villains for four different uh, books so we have Aman voiced by Steve Bloom who did Wolverine he is such a great villain he's so terrifying but like the second season like the first season the villain is the Fire Lord and the, he is unquestionably evil this series The Legend of Korra all the villains have good points. You kind of side with them a little bit. Like with Amon, he's saying, like he's bringing up inequality in the city because uh, bending gives people an edge. And he's saying like, well, we should be equal. His movement is called the equalist movement. But then he jumps off the crazy train and like starts, <laughs> you know, building a cult. His, <laughs> his team is very villain coded. Like the equalists uh have masks so you can't see their face like the brilliant thing about this show is you know who the bad guys are because they basically use star wars rules like you you side with the rebels because you see their face and you know the stormtroopers are the bad guys because you can't so like the fire nation have like skull masks and that's the best way to make your bad guys look like bad guys and the equalists have like these weird gas masks with like glowing green eyes so you know they're the bad guy but aman says that he can take out like he can rem- the spirits gave him the ability to steal people's bending away and that's his plan and he's terrifying like i love his design he wears a mask because he claims that a firebender kill or not well yeah killed his parents and scarred him permanently it's so good um after him the villain because or is uh Z- not Zahir, it's unalak who is cora's uncle he believes that he they need to unite the uh the water tribes because they've been divided they're on opposite ends of the p- planet and he wants to just make his people one people again which i can understand that yeah like you're missing out on an entire other culture if you're divided by an entire planet but again he jumps off the crazy train in this season we learn the origin of the avatar and it's oh my god you guys it's so well done like it's an entirely different animation style like the colors are different it's it's so good it's so good we'll get down to that we'll get down to that so (laughs) who else do we need to cover in the characters yeah but he wants to free the uh, spirit of darkness and chaos from the time tree. We'll get into it. Uh, so he can become the dark avatar. And he ends up doing it. And it's really, uh, it's so uh, it's so good, guys. Like, season two is the weakest of them, but it's still great. And after that, we get to Zaheer. Zaheer is a man who was previously a non-bender. But after some events at the end of uh, season two, he gains the ability to airbend. And because he studied it his entire life, he knows how to airbend. Oh, man, guys, he believes that the only order comes from chaos, which doesn't make sense to me, but whatever. And he wants to uh, rebalance things in the Earth Kingdom because in the Earth Kingdom, there are different tiers. Literally, there are literal tiers and walls keeping the poor people from the rich people. And he wants to take that all down and make everybody on the same playing field in a very literal sense. Which, again, I can kind of relate to and identify with. Like, that's not a terrible decision. But the way he does it is he suffocates, very graphically, the Earth Queen in front of her court. And that is messed up, (laughs) y'all. So he throws that world into chaos and he wants to kill the Avatar also. So there's nobody to replace the balance. And guys... Like, he has a specialized team of benders who are specialists in, like, secondary bending techniques. And it's amazing. Like, he has a lava bender on his team. He's got a combustion bender on his team. And they are terrifying. And it's great. So, who else do we got before we move on? Because we are, uh... We're running long. I know. I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) Last one is Kavira. Um, 
she steps up to place order back in the Earth Kingdom, and she becomes a dictator, and she is a a, a metal-bending master, and she builds a Megazord, guys. Uh, she builds a Megazord and tries to take out everybody else who opposes her in her reign of terror. I know that sounds dumb, but it's great. Yeah, it's pretty good. So uh, who, who else we got? Or are we ready to... Uh, yeah, those are on? all the characters that I think we should focus on as we talk. But uh, right. But yeah, that's... Those are the main people I would like to discuss. All right. Well, let's uh, let's shift on down there and uh, touch on our next topic, and that's going to be a lot of the social dynamics that these two series uh, highlight and oh. talk about. Oh my goodness gracious, guys! This is a children's show, right? Or at least it's it's marketed that way. And in like Avatar: The Last Airbender, we get so much depth out of all of the characters and out of the story in general. Like we get that redemption arc with Zuko. We get like with him alone, we get the idea of forgiveness and how you need to recognize toxic relationships. Like he spends his entire arc trying to live up to what his dad sees him as. And then he realizes that he doesn't need to do that. And he just, ah, it's so good. Like there's the whole idea of responsibility, like Aang running away from what he is and realizing the very real ramifications of that when he comes out of uh, his trance, I guess we'll put it for now. There's all the inherent feminism that is perfect. Like, Katara calls out Sokka out on being sexist. Uh, then we meet the Kiyoshi Warriors, who are a group of trained young ladies uh, who are basically ninjas slash samurais. It's somewhere in between. But Sokka, you know, doesn't take them seriously, and then they beat the crap out of him, and then he realizes he still has stuff to learn, and that women are as capable as him. Like, Suki from the Kiyoshi Warriors is one of the most competent fighters on the team, and she's not a bender. She, oh, she's so good. And then there's Toph, and how she's perfect in every way, and Katara is always standing up to sexist bullies, and so on and so forth. And at some point, uh, she, Katara, uh, makes herself out to be the masked lady, which is some folklore from the Fire Nation about a spirit who takes care of a people in a certain town. And in the story, like her doing this might blow their cover and get them caught because they're hiding out in the Fire Nation. But Katara tells her brother, I will never, ever turn my back on somebody who needs help. And that uh, is... <laughs> I actually have chills. That is so perfect for the series and for the character, because that is that is who she is. That is who this team is. They help people. They're helping the world. And then there's all the, the, the family and learning how to trust people. I don't want to get into it just yet, but Zuko has a lot of trust problems and so on. And then uh, there's the insecurity with Sokka because he's not a bender and learning to overcome it because he has different skills. Um, there's the sibling rivalry between a little bit between Sokka and uh, Katara, but also definitely between Zuko and Azula because Azula was given everything basically because she's so good at what she does in bending. Uh, and Zuko had to fight every second for what he has and he's stronger because of it and he recognizes that. And then there's the imperialism about the entire show because one nation decided that it knows what's best for everybody else and starts taking over stuff, which uh, sounds a little familiar, guys. Um, <laughs> but th there's also ableism. Like, there's a couple of characters who have disabilities, like Toph can't see. But we also meet this kid who's in a wheelchair, and they don't ever address it. Be like, he was d hurt in an accident, and uh, his father built him a wheelchair, and he learned how to fly his wheelchair and like, uh, it's so good. And then there's a, the, the combustion bender. He blew off his own arm and leg and he just has prosthetics for both of them. And they don't really address that at all. They just, these are characters. They're not defined by the disability that they have. They are characters that are full-fledged all on their own. Well, maybe not Combustion Man. He doesn't have any lines, per se, and then he dies. So maybe he's not fleshed out, but everybody else is. And then with Korra... Yeah, I mean, look, they do such a good job. I think we can forgive the the few times that they <laughs> don't give us a million feet of of character development. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like combustion man wasn't really meant to be a full-fledged character i would argue he's just there to be terrifying and he is and then we move on so like with cora cora is an overconfident character and she learns uh the problems that come with that overconfidence like she challenges aman and then he takes her down without even really trying that hard like she in the first time in her life feels fear in a world like she grew up completely isolated from the rest of the world as she learned all the other kinds of bending and she's never met a person she can't defeat and he takes her out like he 
uh, one of Azula's friends, Tai Lee, develops a method. I don't know if she develops it, but she learns how to chi block, which can take somebody's bending away. And uh, this has obviously been taught to the rest of the world. And all of the equalists, well, not all of them, but most of the equalists, definitely the ones that Amon surrounds himself with, are chi blockers. And they take her down with barely a fight. And she, like, she falls into like a terrified depression. And honestly, I think there's a little bit of undertones of suicide in this episode or in this show. Like she doesn't know how to deal with her fear. And then there's the, 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 the notes of privilege and what that entails, because we got the benders who are living as high society and the non-benders who live under them. Like they built a council and non-benders aren't even represented on the council. Who, uh, so the people making the rules for them, they have no basis for understanding their day-to-day lives. And uh, there's the privilege and then there's the patience that Cora has to learn because she's not good at airbending. She can barely do it at all, all through the first season. And then like she has to learn the different methods of how to do it. And she's impatient and she learns the value of learning to just sit and understand yourself. And uh, there's the restraint and then there's love triangles between Mako and Asami and Katara. And then some of the, uh, that love trial may invert in a way you may not expect. And like they deal with loss in ways that you wouldn't expect, like the one, the combustion bender that is uh, the girlfriend of Zaheer. Uh, she is, you know what? We'll get there. But there's loss involved there as well, and it's it's so it's uh, Cora so underrated, guys. But yeah, but those are just some of the social dynamics, just the ones that I've noticed. And I don't really notice political stuff that much, but that's just the stuff that I've noticed. These shows are both really great at doing this, and they don't ever put like flashing lights around it it's usually really kind of understated just like well not understated it's just hey look life is happening over here yeah it's it's subtle it's, it's subtlety that's key and that's what makes these shows so good the character interactions are what make the show great and the voice acting and the direction uh really really sell everything that happens and it's so it's so good guys it really is so what we're gonna do is uh we're going to move down to our third topic for today. So we're going to dive in and we're going to talk a bit just about the first of the two series, um, Last Airbender. The Last Airbender, like I stated before, is one of the best cartoons ever produced. I I will put it higher than Batman the Animated Series. Fight me on it, nerds. Or or don't. Or agree with me if you want. All right. So the Avatar keeps balance in the world. Uh, The Avatar is gifted with all four bending varieties. Aang is approached as a child. Normally, the Order of the White Lotus uh, is an organization that identifies and trains the Avatar so that they are equipped to deal with what they need to do to keep balance in the world. When Aang is born, the Fire Nation has already taken its first steps towards conquering the world. The Fire Lord at the time has killed the current Avatar, Avatar Roku. So, uh, when Aang is approached, he's only 12. He has become an airbending master, but he's not mature enough to deal with the responsibility that they tell him he now has. So what he does is he runs away and there's a terrible storm and he enters the avatar state in a, in a way of protecting himself. The avatar state is where he can tap into all of his past lives. So he can tap into their power and their knowledge. So he surrounds himself in a bubble of uh, like air current and he gets encoded in ice and then he sinks into the ocean. And for whatever reason, he doesn't age, but instead is in stasis, basically, for a hundred years when Katara and Sokka f- stumble upon him. Katara notices Aang in the thing. She cracks open this dome, and then she f- releases the Avatar, sends a beam of light into the air. Zuko notices it. Uh, he starts heading towards where he saw the light, because he just assumes, based on nothing, that that <laughs> was produced by a powerful bender, who he assumes is the Avatar. Okay, fine. That's fine. I don't care. Uh, the first week, the first season's the weakest of uh, the Last Airbender. It's really Monster of the Week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, once they start getting into, well, once I would say from the siege at the Northern Water Tribe, all on is just solid, rock solid. Everything else is kind of silly and goofy, but once they hit the the Northern uh, uh, Water Tribe, it really takes off. Ultimately, Zuko is Zuko chasing Aang, Katara, and Sokka as they are trying to make their way north so Anne can learn waterbending and save the world, basically. On the way, they, they meet different characters, uh, different benders, different bending styles. Aang accidentally learns a little bit of firebending out of order. Like, there is an order that he has to learn it. And, I don't know if you noticed, but it is the Planeteers order, just out of sequence. So, like, <laughs> uh, Planeteers is Earth, Fire, Wind, Water, and Heart. Heart 
kind of comes up later, but it starts with water and moves on from there. But it is the Planeteer sequence. They make their way to the Northern Water Tribe, where they meet Paku, who is the waterbending master that tra- ends up, like, after Katara fights him. She, like, she fights him with her bare hands at one point, even, to prove that she is valuable, that she can do this. He yields, eventually, and he trains her. And she becomes a waterbending master in the next month at the time is a little unspecific whatever it's fine while they're at the northern water tribe the fire nation has realized what's happening and they go to attack general zhao has learned of the ocean and moon spirit he plans to take away the water bending uh, ability by killing the moon spirit there are different uh natural phenomena that give or take power like uh, an eclipse will take away a firebender's power uh a a comet will increase it because it acts as a second sun uh the moon the full moon is when a waterbender is strongest um i forget what it is for earth and air but that never comes up so don't worry about it uh general zhao attacks princess yue who lives at the northern water tribe she is, falls in love with Sokka a little bit uh yue means moon by the way she uh was touched by the moon spirit so when zhao kills the moon spirit she gives up her own life she like she understands the sacrifice she has to make in order to bring peace to the world so she gives up her own life and becomes the moon uh, in order to to help out her everyone in the world, and that's uh, guys, I'm trying to blow through this, but that's so affecting. Once the mood spirit's killed, Aang latches onto the ocean spirit and becomes this giant koi fish monster kaiju, and he just wrecks the Fire Nation, and it's amazing. General Zhao attempted to assassinate Prince Zuko, it failed, but not like Zuko's a little screwed, messed up. Zuko and Zhao have have had this rivalry throughout the series. Zhao basically baits him and tries to belittle him as much as possible because he's a jerk and Zuko falls for it because he's a little hot-headed. Iroh tries to keep Zuko calm for most of it but it doesn't super work and then finally at the water tribe they have an Agni Kai and Zuko isn't like he's on the same level as Zhao even though Zhao is a full-fledged general or admiral admiral at this point. After the moon spirit is revived and uh, Aang has basically taken out the the Fire Nation Navy. Like the moods or the the water spirit heads back and finds General Zhao and plucks him off the the like an ice bridge and just sucks him away. Like Zuko forgets it and tries to save him, tries to help him, but Zhao is too proud, I guess, and refuses his hand and is instead just enveloped by a a, a spirit and is dragged away. And good. Screw that guy. Yeah, he's a what jerk. A, what a jerk. That's that's ultimately how book and book one ends, um, with uh, the 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 Fire Nation being defeated and heading home. When we pick up in uh, book two, Aang is heading back towards uh, the Earth Kingdom, because he he met a guy in the first book uh, who he recognized, who is like 112 years old. His name's Boomy, and he believes Boomy will be the one to train him in earthbending, and he lives in a, t- a city called Omashu. What they don't know is that uh, there is. A new player involved, and her name is Azula, and she's horrifying. Uh, Azula has two friends named Tylee and May. May is a non-bender who is very proficient in throwing weapons. Like, she has daggers and arrows and darts and stuff, and she is apathetic and cold, and she doesn't take no guff. Um, not even from Azula, mostly. And then Tylee is a gymnast and uh, one of 12 daughters, and she uh, is incredibly skilled at... Uh, hand-to-hand combat and she joins the team under duress but uh, she is one of azula's friends who will help when team avatar arrives at omashu may straight up (laughs) just tries to kill them without any provocation really and uh, they take over the city or the 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 fire nation takes over the city so that leaves ang with no airbending master to fall with or to fall in with to learn how to do it so as they're leaving they get sucked into a spirit swamp and ang sees flashes of this little girl with wings like everybody starts having hallucinations in the swamp <laughs> and it's one of the more trippy parts of the series there's there's a lot going on like like there's a moment in the first book where ang has to go meet with a spirit named ko who's like this horrifying centipede monster who steals people's faces ang or he sees this girl that's that's what important that's what's important so they move on to a different airbending city where he they take in this uh the earthbending uh championship because he know these are very powerful earthbenders i'm sure one of them will be able to teach him what he needs to know and then it ends up being Toph, who wrecks all these huge dudes and it's great she is at first resistant to the idea but uh she is ultimately convinced to join team avatar and become 
Aang's earthbending teacher. She is not uh, as forgiving a teacher as Katara is, because uh, that's just the style. You have to be, if you're an earthbender, you have to be strong and immovable sometimes. It's very, very different from the Tai Chi methods that are part of uh, waterbending. Aang learns how to earthbend from uh, Toph, and when they reach the Earth Kingdom, they plan to meet with the Earth King, but the Fire Nation have developed an enormous drill and they are breaking through the walls of Ba Sing Se, the Earth Kingdom headquarters. It's a silly, silly scheme. Like, it's a it's a drill that its primary motion is... It's a is Team Rocket like, like a, scheme is what it is. <laughs> you, sir, are not wrong. I mean, ultimately, it's kind of successful. They are able to drill through the thing. After the drill fails, like, Team Avatar infiltrates, infiltrates the drill and sabotage it from the inside because Sokka realizes the mechanics of it, and he tells them where to cut, and then... They are able to, de- you know, they're able to destroy the drill. But Azula and uh, Ty Lee and May have made it into Ba Sing Se, disguised as earthbending people. And uh, all the while, Zuko and Iroh have become uh, Fire Nation fugitives, and they have taken up residence at Ba Sing Se. And Uncle Iroh has opened up a tea shop called the Jasmine Dragon that he's super proud of because that dude loves tea. Team Avatar is kind of a guest, but also kind of a prisoner of the Earth Kingdom. There is a gentleman kind of working behind the scene working behind the scenes manipulating the uh, the internal police called the Dai Li in order to keep the avatar in the dark during one of uh, the ex- excursions to uh, a spirit library library Appa is taken Appa is the sky bison that Aang has and it's also his oldest and best friend so while they are trying to find him the Dai Li are manipulating them into uh, basically fleeing while uh, there's a coup staged. Eventually, they catch wind of what's actually happening, and with a, a comrade that they picked up uh, from book one called Jet and his uh, a couple of his friends, they break into the Earth Kingdom, Inner Sanctum, kind of, where uh, they have been brainwashing people in this really weird and kind of out-of-place method. But, you know, whatever. It, it's fine. They find Appa, but they still have... Like, they've lost the Earth Kingdom. Azula has taken over. So they they got a book. <laughs> there is a, a scene at the end of season two where uh, Iroh and Zuko have basically teamed up with Team Avatar and Azula is uh, facing off with them in an underground crystal, crystal cavern and they're outnumbered for sure because they have the Dai Li, the earthbending agents on, the, on their side. So Team Avatar, like Aang, during the course of season two, Aang is learning more and more about the Avatar state and his chakras and how he has to uh, release all of his attachments to this world in order to fully realize himself as the Avatar so he can go into it at will. But he can't do it because he's in love with Katara. But in this last scene, he manages he lets go because Katara is in danger and he knows that ultimately he has to let go in order to save her and as he enters the avatar state Azula strikes him with lightning from behind and ultimately he dies for a little bit uh Katara is able to scoop him up uh and get the hell out of there but like everything has gone wrong like Zuko flipped positions again and he is now on the side with Azula because he has been manipulated to the point where he wants to be a part of his family again and Uncle Iroh is captured because he's seen as a traitor and then Aang gets shot down and then everything everything went wrong and Katara ends up using water from the spirit uh, fountain at the Northern Water Tribe and that is able to save Aang but he now is locked out of the Avatar state and he's super screwed up. It's so dire, you guys. Season 3 opens up with uh, the them just going with, yeah, you know what, Aang, it's easier for us if you stay dead. We have to we have to hide in plain sight. Otherwise, this will never be able to do anything. And season three is has one of my favorite or has most of my favorite episodes. Like there's an episode called The Headband that serves as a method to humanize the the Fire Nation. Like all we have seen is uh, the main like the, the the royalty. We've got Iroh and Zuko, Azula and Ozai, and all of them are high ranking members. But we haven't seen any of the people of the Fire Nation really. And Aang, part of his disguise, has a headband, obviously. And he goes, like, somebody finds him and assumes he's a truant student. And he attends school for a day. And he meets all of the uh, all of the Fire Nation kids. And he realizes, like, you get to see how all of their creativity is kind of beaten out of them. And how they are taught to only value their nation. And how they have to pledge their lives to their nation. And it's this beautiful humanizing moment. And Aang is like you know, you guys don't have to live this way. And then he hosts a dance party for them because of course he does. And like over the course of this, this, uh, this book, like Aang 
learns how to firebend from Zuko because Zuko catches up with them and volunteers his services. Like Katara, or no, Sokka learns how to become a swordman, a swordsman, an expert swordsman. Once Zuko joins the team, like he teaches fire, or he teaches Aang firebending, but he also goes out on a field trip with Katara because he helps her track down the guy who murdered her mother. She learns a lesson about restraint and how, you know, becoming what you hate isn't the best way to live your life. And uh, just so much happens in the season, you guys. And then, like, we get the best four-part ending to any series there ever could be in The Rise of the Phoenix King and The Rise of Aang as an Avatar. And it's, uh, guys, this, this season, or this series, for the most part, is hand-drawn. And everything about it is, oh my god, you guys, if, if you're not going to watch any of the show, watch the last four episodes, please. Because the acting and the direction are fantastic. But the visuals, the animation style of this ending, it, it, it defies words, and I, I can't compare it to anything. Like, there's a, a showdown between Azula and uh, Zuko, and their firebending the, the scenes there are just incomparable and, and incredible because like Azula shoots blue fire. It's probably specifically so we could differentiate this ending, uh, but it's, it's amazing. Ozai's plan is to use Sozin's comet to power himself up, to burn down the earth nation and then rebuild it out of the ashes. So he renames himself the Phoenix King and he has gone full on supervillain. Aang realizes that everybody wants him to, kill Ozai and end the madness once and for all. And he doesn't want to do it because he was brought up to value all life, even this crazy monster of a person. So he's torn with what he has to do. And straight, honestly, he doesn't know if he can do it because he can't tap into the avatar state because he got his chakra blocked when he got zapped by Zula. Like Zuko switches sides during the, the day of black sun, which is a day where there's an eclipse and they stage like the all of the other nations stage an attack on the fire nation knowing that at some point they would have a window of eight minutes where nobody on the who could firebend could firebend which of course would be the perfect time to strike it doesn't go well and they have to go to plan b which is take him out before the so the the sozin's comet arrives but that doesn't work out either so sozin's comet's here ang has no other option. He has to fight Fire Lord Zo- or Ozai. Mark Hamill does an amazing job as a villain. I love him so much as a villain. I mean, at some points, Fire Lord Ozai does get a little bit jokery, but I'm all on board for that. Zula, or Azula, and Zuko are facing off. Katara's there also, um, but she can't really match up with Azula's crazy power because, for one thing, there's not a lot of water source for her to manipulate, and another thing, this is this is Zuko's fight. So Zuko is able to counter all of her attacks and stand against her. And this is the first time that's happened for her. So naturally what she does is she targets Katara and shoots lightning at it, at her rather. And Zuko jumps in front of it because he knows how to redirect lightning. But if you hold it in yourself too long, it'll super screw you up. So because he wasn't super ready, he doesn't do it properly. And he gets, he takes the brunt of it uh, and he survives it, but he is really badly hurt and he's out of the fight. So now it's Katara and Azula. Katara started this series not knowing how to waterbend, and she ends the series like flash freezing Azula in ice and then manipulating the ice around her to chain her down to a grate so she could finish the job. And it's, uh, it's so good because Azula has gone full on crazy. Like she has slipped into madness. She's seeing her spectral mother. She's talking to herself. She did the meaningful haircut thing all through the fight with Fire Lord Ozai, Toph and uh, Sokka have been attacking the other airships because they're still burning down the countryside and they have to do something about it. They do manage to take down most of them, but Fire Lord Ozai and and Aang are still fighting. And Aang, it's very clear very quickly, he's outmatched. He cannot stand up to uh, Ozai. Like, he keeps getting beaten down and beaten down. And at the end, right before what happens happens, he encases himself in some rock ozai blows it away with fire and then then he's just surrounded by air and ozai hits him with some fire and smashes him into a wall which hits him in the back with a spike of rock which frees up the avatar state and when you see ang pop out from some rocks <laughs> his eyes and his tattoos are glowing and he grabs ozai by the chin you're like oh man 
And it's so, it's, uh, it's so great. He airbends Ozai away and then he encases himself in a bubble of air and he's got a ring of rock and he's got a ring of fire and he's got a ring of water just rolling around him. And you know that the Earth King has messed up. He, <laughs> or not the Earth King, you know that the Fire Lord, he's messed up. And uh, the, the fight continues, like it goes on for a little while longer. And, but eventually Aang strikes him down and smacks him into a, a rock pillar and is about to kill him and then decides, nope, not going to do it. He knows that there has to be another way. And in that moment, the Fire Lord tries to f just like incinerate him from behind. And Aang, because of his earthbending sense, like he learned how to sense the vibrations from Toph, like he kicks up uh, a pillar, encases Ozai's arm in it, traps him there, and then learns heart and he energy energy bends ozai so he can't bend anymore and that's how it ends he lived he did it on his own terms and he didn't have to kill him but he still and took out the threat and uh it's so good you guys spoilers for all of that <laughs> all right well uh we're gonna have to call it there for this week <laughs> sorry i really did try to go through that as quick as i could so um sky where can people find you online uh, you can find me at Sandwich Surplus on Twitter. Uh, I also now have my own podcast called Pop Culture Failure. You can follow that show at uh, Failed Pop Culture, uh, where we are currently watching Ninja Turtles: The Next Mutation. Uh, I chose to I'm do this to so myself. Sorry. Uh, yeah, we're it's me and my roommate Jake. We are watching uh, the crappy, or maybe not crappy, shows from our youth, um, and to basically see how they stand up. Next Mutation does not. You can find us on the internet at fifthdraw.com, follow us on Twitter at fifthdraw, or email us at social at fifthdraw.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Hoodley. If you enjoyed this episode, why not give us a rating and a review, or maybe tell a friend? Getting the word out helps us immensely. Our music is Arcade Montage by Lee Rosevere and can be found at the Free Music Archive. That's all for this week. We hope you'll join us next week for another episode. And hey, thanks for listening. <laughs>